0: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast, coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, actually, this is my last show from my current studio. It's not really a studio. It's actually uh, just a bedroom. Uh, but in my my house, I'm um, uh, having to move, so I am kind of... Uh, I'm actually renting a place in Montecito right now. I have been renting a place for a while and uh, they just sold the house and I got to move out and then I'm moving to another rental because I don't have time to find something. And this market right now is just the absolute worst market to buy in. It is crazy. Stuff is going for millions of dollars over what it was pre-COVID. And I'm just hoping the people from LA and San Francisco who are coming here and driving up prices Stop doing so, and that will regain a little bit of sanity. Although, frankly, sanity is all relative here. You can't really get anything livable, you know, barely anything here uh, for under $3 million uh, in Montecito, and that's, you know, barely livable, right? And, I, and that's in the current market. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but... It is what it is. I do love it here, and I don't blame uh, these people for wanting to come uh, and uh, move here from the big cities during this pandemic, but I just wish they would stop doing it and go home. So anyway, today, uh, before we begin, I just want to remind you, there is a website called wealthformula.com, and that website houses the podcast known as the Wealth Formula Podcast to which you are listening to right now. The reason you should know about it is because there's all sorts of resources there for you. Lots of free stuff, free books, free webinars, et cetera. And it's also the place to sign up for our accredited investor club, which if you are an accredited investor, you should seriously consider joining and start putting some of these lessons and all of this information into play and get some of that lazy money off the sidelines. Anyway, again, that's uh, wealthformula.com. It's also the place where you can uh, go, uh, you can go there or you can go to wealthformularoadmap.com to join Wealth Formula Network. A lot of people have been asking about that lately. That's our private network where we do, we have our Facebook group, we have our biweekly Zoom calls, uh, Zoom video calls, and yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of people are in there, and uh, it's a it's a it's just taking this stuff to the next level. Everybody who's joined that seems to have really enjoyed it. Obviously, it also comes with a course, and that course was the full. Uh, initially, that was the the whole reason uh, to do Wealth Formula Network. But Wealth Formula Network has sort of taken on a life of its own. But the course itself has got a lot of great people and a lot of smart people, like Tom Wheelwright, Kenny McElroy you know, etc. And so check that out, uh, wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, again, for today's show, going back to today's show, we are going to do another episode of Ask Buck. Now, of course, I want to highly encourage you to continue to submit those questions by either going to wealthformula.com and recording them, uh, which is Frankly, my preference that you do that because it's nice to hear your voice or you can simply uh, write me at BucketWealthFormula.com or one of the emails that we solicit these questions from. That said, you know, we are probably going to have at least two or three of these in a row because usually there's a lot of questions, but there's still time to submit yours. So go ahead and do that if you want to do it. And so when we come back, the first Q2 episode of Ask Buck. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Let's get to it. Without further ado... The first question is from Brian, and here it is, a nice recorded question.
1: Hi, Buck. This is Brian from Salt Lake City. First of all, thank you so much for your podcast. I'm really enjoying it and uh, looking forward to an upcoming investment with uh, your team with uh, Western Wealth um, uh, Capital. My question for today is um, I'm expecting a uh, significant uh, liquidity event in a positive way for my business, And I've heard a little bit about this Malta pension plan opportunity. I'd always thought I'd be doing a a CRT or a charitable remainder trust. But uh, with the Malta plan, apparently there's significant opportunity to uh, have uh, cash-free or tax-free wealth into the future. wondering if you had any references or people that might uh, be able to weigh in on this. Thanks again for everything. I look forward to hearing from you.
0: Brian, great question, Uh, and as I always do, I'm gonna start off by reminding you that I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a CPA, I don't even play one on TV. I am just a guy uh, with his own opinions that may or may not be based in reality. Uh, But anyway, so I do happen to know, or think I know a little bit about Brian's situation, and he is uh, selling a business, And uh, I say that because that's really important because not all capital gains are created equally. And uh, so let's take this opportunity to just go back and review that a little bit. For example, you know, we often talk about the use of real estate depreciation to offset passive income, right? And so you may ask, and I should say reasonably so, well, wait a second, Aren't stocks, bonds, and mutual funds aren't they considered passive income? So if I've got, you know, passive losses from real estate, should I be able to offset that? Well, the answer, and again to my understanding, is no. Capital gains from stocks are considered portfolio income; they're not considered the quote unquote passive income. So you cannot use depreciation from real estate uh, to offset portfolio income. If you are not a real estate professional. Now, I digress a bit because I know Brian is selling a business, but I thought it would be an important kind of, you know, hit this sort of holistically. And uh, so Brian's selling a business. And what I will say is that some of our, some in our group have gone down another route, which is uh, the real estate professional status uh, rabbit hole. When they sell their business and have benefited from uh, that transition, and let me just say that here's how I have seen that work. You see, someone has a business, and it's also, uh, and that person is also active in real estate or suddenly becomes very active in real estate. And when they sell all the business, they make sure that they also qualify uh, immediately after that uh, as real estate professional status for the year in which they sell that property. They then take the proceeds of the business sale and invest it into as much real estate as possible in hopes of, you know, essentially taking the depreciation from those investments and using those against capital gains. Now, again, you can do that theoretically because once you're a real estate professional, your real estate depreciation is not Passive depreciation because you're a real estate professional, all of your losses are activated, and so the depreciation is active and that can therefore offset all types of income, including active income. Again, I'm not a CPA or a lawyer, but this is my understanding. Now, I know that again is not your question, Brian, but so many people in our group have done this successfully that I had to bring it up. Now, of course. There are other options out there as well. Uh, Before I get to your specific question, another option would be to do an installment sale. You know, basically there are these companies out there that'll act as intermediaries during your sale. Uh, They take the proceeds from uh, the sale of your business. And then what they do is essentially loan you like 93, 94% of the full amount over 30 years. And they charge you you know, that six to seven percent up front for that debt. Of course, the reason they're doing that is because that income, that capital gains income uh, would then not be seen as income because you're taking it as debt and debt is not taxable. And then, of course, eventually, 30 years later, you may have to pay tax or you may find another creative way to defer that until you die. Anyway, I will say that the installment sale is actually pretty non-controversial uh, if you do it uh, the right way. It's not, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, something that I think that, you know, I know a lot of people who do it and it's, it's not that um, risky, I would say, in my opinion. Now, what you're bringing up is something different. We've never talked about it on the show. It's the multi-pension plan. Now, It's a lot more complicated. And again, I'm not a tax professional, but in a nutshell, the idea is to utilize a treaty between the U.S. and Malta that allows us to use their uh, each other's pension structure and basically have pensions in each other's country, I guess. Now, money does not leave the U.S. when you create a Malta pension plan. But the entity holding it is domiciled in Malta, and that's why it's a Malta pension plan. Now, in theory, anything can be transferred into a Malta pension plan. It's stock, real estate, cash, cryptocurrency, which may be where you might see some of this stuff happening. And once it's transferred over, at the age of 50, you can pay yourself uh, 50% of that money tax-free Then every... I think every couple years after that, you can keep paying yourself 50% tax-free until the money is essentially all used up. And uh, voila, you have liquidity event without any taxation on it. And so that sounds awesome. And in addition to that, of course, the money that's uh, sitting there in the multi-pension plan can be invested in stuff. So it's not like you are uh, just sitting in cash all these years either. So sounds awesome. Sounds great. But of course, as always, the devil is in the details. And for one, for those who I've talked to about this, the professionals who actually execute it, it isn't cheap. Okay. So uh, from the people I've talked to, the minimum cost for something like this is about $300,000 just to set it up. Uh, minimum of that. And then there's ongoing assets under management fees and transaction fees every time there's more money coming in. Um, Now, if anyone, I should say, if anyone has found someone to do this for less money, who's actually reputable and knows what they're doing, let me know. But that's kind of what I've been hearing on this. But my understanding is that you know, really the absolute minimum liquidation event for this, something like this to even make sense would be at least $5 million. And obviously, you know, the larger liquidation events are going to create better opportunities and make it more cost effective. But the other issue I would just, you know, I think it's wise to bring up is bottom line is that I don't know how much risk there is in doing something like this. I know the Law is there. From what I understand, the law is there, and it's pretty clear. I would take this very seriously before you get in there and do a lot of due diligence. And I'm certainly no expert on this, you know, because I'm all for being on the, you know, the cutting edge of things. But I also, you know, I don't want to be on the bleeding edge of them. Right. So to be honest, I don't know enough about it to consider whether I would do it myself. But uh, I'm certainly open to learning more. But, you know, again, what is the risk? The risk that it gets turned over and this big plan that you had for all these capital gains gets turned over and you have penalties and, you know, that's much worse than, um, you know, doing something that maybe you have to pay a little bit more in uh, uh, or, uh, yeah, you know, like an installment sale or something like that. But then, you know, you have uh, maybe you're paying a little bit more, maybe you're paying a few percent. Um, but the reality is that there, it's a lot less controversial or it's at least more known, uh, than some of the other more exotic stuff like this. Now, again, I don't know, who knows, maybe I'll end up doing a, a Malta, Malta, pension plan for some liquidation event down the line. But what I will say, and I will say to all of you is whenever you hear stuff like this, of course, it doesn't mean that there's anything that it's a breaking law or anything, but just, It's not only whether or not it's legal, but you got to just make sure, you know, you do your own due diligence on the people involved and, you know, all of the laws and what the risks are to you and make that decision. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I answered uh, that question. Uh, If nothing else, I very much doubt that most people out there have ever heard of a multi pension plan. So go ahead and start looking it up. Next question is from Evan.
2: Hey, Buck, my name's Evan. I'm an attorney in San Luis Obispo in Santa Barbara. Um, My question is about bonus depreciation and um, depreciation recapture. I understand that bonus depreciation can have a lot of benefits, but I get confused when I start to think about how you recapture the depreciation when you sell the asset. Um, it, it almost seems like somewhat of a Ponzi scheme where you get the benefit of the, the depreciation, but then you use it to pay off other things. And then later on, you, you still owe the benefit, um, if that makes any sense. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit more about how bonus depreciation is still extremely beneficial. Even though you have to recapture that at the time that you sell the asset,
0: thank you. Well, Evan, thanks for the question. Boy, I definitely do not like the words Ponzi scheme for recapture, but uh, uh, I see what you're saying. It's sort of you know recapturing the same uh, law that. But again, let me let me try to explain to you because hopefully it'll make sense. And again, I'm not a CPA or a lawyer like you, but here's my understanding. So this is not financial advice. Um, but, you know, we, we use these kinds of concepts in our group all the time. Uh, let's talk about this first on a very basic uh, level. So uh, say I was able to invest $100,000 into something today and take 100% bonus depreciation on it this year. So that's a $100,000 uh, tax deduction for me this year. So if I made $400,000 this year, for example, but I invested it in something that provided me that $100,000 deduction, my taxable income would be not the $400,000 that I would have theoretically made, but the $300,000 uh, after, uh, after that depreciation is applied. So I am not taxed on $100,000 that, you know, I made that would have been taxed at ordinary income. So let's just say that I'm paying 40% on ordinary income all in. Uh, Well, so if that's the case, I just saved $40,000, right? So hopefully that part makes sense. It's very basic. You got $40,000 now. So if you use that depreciation by applying it to other passive income, then one day uh, the pro- and the- and then one day the property sold without tax deferral of any kind, then we do have to pay recapture. You're absolutely right about that. But a couple reasons why this is still beneficial. Now, as we mentioned, we use that theoretical tax bracket of forty percent. So that you saved initially on that hundred thousand. So that tax on the ordinary income was 40%. But here's the thing the recapture is at 25% typically. Now 25% recapture as a pay as opposed to paying 40%. So right there you have a tax arbitrage of 15%. So if I held on to that asset for 10 years, uh there's also you know, you get that benefit of the arbitrage, but now you also have the time value of money, right? Because now you're paying for these taxes owed in the future when that money has been, uh, the value of that money has been diluted by inflation as well. So uh, anyway, that's, that's basically in a nutshell why it is still valuable. Uh, and that's assuming you didn't just do what we call uh, the golden hamster wheel. That's kind of our you know, little shuffle. Uh, the name uh, was brought to you by Tim Hamby, uh, orthopedic surgeon in Indiana and member of our uh, Wealth Formula Network. And I like the name, so I rip it off all the time. So the golden hamster wheel, right? So here's how that works. So say you invest uh, a bunch in real estate and you're, you know, you're, you're in several opportunities, you know, 50000 $100,000 at a time, like people in our investor group. And uh, you're, you know, you're not a real estate professional, so you're not necessarily using up all that depreciation that you're accumulating, uh, but you do have some passive income, so you're using some of it. Well, here's what happens. So you use what you can, and then you have these recapture moments. And so on that particular property, you may have capital gains and recapture, but the idea is that you'll have these passive losses sitting in the wing that you've not used up to sort of again kick that uh, need to pay taxes on those gains and recapture uh, down a little bit further. So that's why we call it sort of a hamster wheel because you it incentivizes you to continue to invest in real estate so that these losses continue and you keep pushing the recapture back and capital gains back into other losses that you've accumulated by investing in other real estate. So it's a hamster wheel, yes, uh, but it's a, it's a very nice hamster wheel. And so we like that hamster wheel, and, and we do it, and we use it all the time. Uh, and uh, essentially, that's why we call it the golden hamster wheel. Now, of course, someday, at some point, you may have to pay something, or the other possibility is that you die and your heirs don't have to pay it. Uh, these are all things that happen, basis resets at death and things like that. But in a nutshell, that is effectively what the golden hamster wheel is. But again, I just want to point out that even if you did not use the golden hamster wheel, you're using tax arbitrage and the time value of money to benefit from uh, the depreciation upfront, even if you are paying recapture. Okay, hopefully that made sense. It was a mouthful, right? Okay, next question here from Matt.
1: My question is this. Let's say if we have a construction company, um, if we sell a depreciating asset and we have capital gains, can we do? What can we do with that? To can we invest it back into real estate, commodities, or some form of investment to avoid capital gains, or do we have to reinvest it back in our company to form our depreciation? <laughs>
0: Well, um, sounds like a lot of people are out there selling businesses, and again, I'm not a CPA or tax attorney uh, or an attorney of any kind um, but let's just review what we've talked about already first uh, so we you know we talked about converting uh, about the possibility of ha- if you you know you're active in real estate or your spouse is to you know take advantage of the real estate professional status uh, invest you know those capital gains proceeds into real estate, and then take advantage of you know, depreciation that then becomes activated. That's one thing that we've talked about. We also talked about installment sales, which, you know, a lot of people do. Uh, we've even talked about, you know, some more exotic stuff like multi-pension plans. You know, obviously the traditional way to do, uh, to to defer taxes on a sale of a business would be a 1031 exchange, which is a like-kind exchange um, you know, a business would likely not be able to be transferred for real estate, but you can probably get a lot of other good ideas on different kinds of businesses or whatever that you could exchange it for from a good accountant. However, remember, you know, you have to set up all this stuff uh You know most of this stuff ahead of time. A 1031 exchange can be done after the fact. You have to have an intermediary at sale. Uh, Same thing goes for the uh, installment sales. And I I should, and I'm sorry, I forgot about this other option too that Brett Schwartz uh, back uh, back a few weeks ago brought on the show, which was the deferred sales trust, which is an interesting uh, option as well. I don't know that much about it, but uh, I know as much as you do if you listen to that podcast. But you know, that's another option. Uh, but again, these things have to all be done uh, at the time of sale. If not, you know, you're you're kind of screwed in a way, unless you, again, you're doing a real estate professional thing and now you're just deploying capital and getting uh, activated depreciation. So anyway, yeah, so so those, again, are your options. And again, just forgot to mention Brett Schwartz and the Deferred Sales Trust might be worth going back and listening to that podcast that I did uh, with him as well. All right next question
3: Hey Buck this is Max. Thanks for the opportunity to ask a question. love your show get loads of value from it every week uh, keep it up and um, so my question is tied to the grouping of various real estate investments, you know, syndications, rental properties etc into what is considered a single real estate activity. From which I can also group all the losses across all of those and apply that larger loss amount to capital gains, W 2, and other income. You know, assuming you qualify for real estate professional status. Um, this seems like a very good strategy and one that would almost be the default for an active investor who qualifies for real estate professional status and has that blend of investments where in reality they may only be able to you know, material materially participate in a subset of those properties, a handful but then can group them and include losses from all of it, uh, including the losses from syndications. Um, So hopefully the above makes sense and some of the assumptions I'm making are correct. But my question here is what are the pros and cons of that strategy of grouping all real estate activities as a single activity? How difficult is that to accomplish? And I guess, are there any gotchas to be aware of? Thank you very much.
0: Max uh again I'll start out by saying that I'm not a tax professional, CPA, lawyer or any of those uh any of those uh, fancy types. So I'm not going to give you too, you know, any advice here, but I'll I'll give you my layperson's perspective and opinion. Um you know, first of all, as long as you follow the law, uh, it's not that difficult to do what you're saying. You have to document, you know, no less than 750 hours per year in a diary of uh, real estate activity where you're, you know, you're really doing real estate activity uh, and you can't have another vocation in which you spend more than uh, 750 hours per year. So, you know, I actually uh, am a real estate professional myself and that's what I do. Now, the rest of it, you know, I would highly suggest you speak to your CPA about, you know, really, you know, the nuts and bolts of, you know, what that activity is. Um, Because, listen, I could tell you, and I'm not going to because I'm not crazy and I'm not uh, to give you financial advice, but I I, I could tell you a bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, your CPA is going to be the one who defends you in any kind of audit. Uh, So he or she needs to be comfortable with your strategy. But this is a legitimate strategy. You're not playing in the gray area. You're following the law. But again, for real estate um, investors, this is sort of, like you said, the default holy grail. If you know, if that's what you do, invest in real estate uh, for a living, you should theoretically be able to use all of your real estate losses against any other, you know, form of your act, uh, of active income or. Uh, the active income of your spouse if you're filing jointly, and that's why this thing is so darn powerful. Uh, Like I said, it also works when one of the spouses is the high W-2 wage earner and the other one is the real estate professional. We see that a lot in our group. Uh, Filing together, uh, you can take advantage of those losses, uh, theoretically, if one of the spouses is a real estate professional. So, So not a bad way to go. So other than that, I don't know that I have much to add. I do think, again, uh, this uh, real estate professional says for those of you contemplating it. I mean, shoot, if you're doing real estate, uh, it's funny. Uh, there's some people who've got you know a spouse and who's making a lot less money than than he or she, uh, and uh, it might actually be of greater value to take the tax deduction monetarily, have that spouse working on the real estate stuff full-time than have you know a salary that's not significant. Anyway, hopefully that addresses your questions somewhat. Let's see here, we've got time for maybe a couple more. Uh, by the way, if you notice, I'm doing all the questions right now that are audio because I like the audio ones best. So, and I'm also, I also have a ton more questions here. So if I didn't get to your question, it's not like I'm not going to do it. It just, I'm not doing it on this show. We'll probably have at least two more of these in a row. Okay. Next question from Eric is a written one. He says, Hey Buck, what is the best entity for me to hold my syndication investments? And thanks for all the great education. It has really changed my life. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad, I'm glad that it has changed your life. That's, um, that's good to hear cuz it means somebody's actually learning something and 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 doing something with it so that's that's great to hear thanks for that uh, message eric so again it's funny it seems like if i was an attorney or a cpa I, I could probably cut off about 20 minutes of this show but i'll say it again i am not a uh, i'm not an attorney but i'm going to tell you what i do or people in my um you know that I know in our investor club typically do. So the best entity uh, to hold syndication investments and in. typically what investors in our group uh, who are very active in this space are doing is they're is they're creating an LLC. And often, um, you know, those LLCs are in areas that have strong laws for asset protection, such as Wyoming or Arizona, for example. These these uh, laws. They relate to something called charging orders, which I won't get into. But bottom line is, it just provides better distance between you, yourself, and your entity. Even though it's a flow through entity, it provides you some layer of asset protection. Okay. So what people are doing is they're they're tip, what they're typically doing is they have one, uh, you know, they they'll have one LLC and maybe it's a um you know manager managed uh, llc uh in wyoming and then they invest in that sort of acts as a piggy bank out of which they invest into you know limited partnerships and then they get cash flow back uh, or capital gains back from the the money that's made from those investments the reason why it's okay uh, theoretically to have so many investments flowing from one entity is because they're all investments into limited partnerships so limited partnership by definition means you don't have really any liability from the investment so if you are a limited partner you invest in an apartment deal and you know somebody um, you know somebody's suing Uh, the general partner or something related to that asset, you don't have liability. So um, there really is nothing to protect in that from uh, the apartment building itself. Um, So then the question is, well, shoot, if that's the case, why do I need an entity at all? And the reason that people do entities typically there uh, is to actually protect the investments from personal liability. You see, Say, for example, you're you know driving down the street or your kid's driving the street and they they hit somebody and break their leg and they get sued. You get sued. And now there's personal liability. Well, what the LLC has done, if it's got good charging orders, is give you some level of asset protection against the personal liability. You're getting sued, but your investments are not, you know, just in your name where they are, you know, prime for the taking. Uh, if, if you get sued and you lose some kind of a lawsuit. And so if they're in an entity, it makes it much more difficult, uh, to get to. So that's why people are doing that. So they have like a holding company. Again, it might be Arizona. It might be Wyoming. And then they're deploying capital out of there. And then they are, you know, just using one entity to deploy in and out out of, it's like a big piggy bank. One other thing I'll point out is I like, uh, personally like to manage or manage LLCs, um, because, you know, you may start out doing this where you are, you know, the member of the LLC uh, or somebody else in your family is or whatever, and you're the manager. But at some point you may want to move that entity over to like a trust owning it. And so it makes it easy. If you're just a manager already uh, and it's a manager, managed LLC, then all you're doing is changing the members. And so that's, that's the way I've seen it done. Again, can't say that I uh, can give you any sort of advice on you know whether it's the right or wrong thing, but that's what uh, that's what I do, uh, and that's what most people uh, in our group uh, who are active investors are doing. All right, I'm going to do one more question here. This person doesn't want to uh, be named, and he says. Uh, hi, Buck. Hope your family's doing well. I appreciate your efforts in educating us and enjoy listening to your podcast and the questions you pose to them. I was wondering about the issue of recapture of depreciation on the sale of property, which of course we talked about a little bit earlier, so you have some background on that. He says, I recently spoke with a syndicator who stated that their company does things a little differently. Instead of paying a preferred return of 7 to 10%, they guarantee a PREF return Of 15% per year, including the depreciation part. Then in year three to five, they refinance and pay off the investors, their capital investment, and they keep the property long-term, but the investors are done. That way there's no depreciation recapture for the investor. I proposed that one could reinvest the gains in a new property and offset the income But the reply was, then we are stuck continuing to reinvest until we die. To me, investing with your group makes sense, and the returns seem way better. I just didn't have enough knowledge to intelligently counter their argument. I'm not sure if I'm stating this clearly, but if you are able to make out the gist of this conversation, please let me know your thoughts and strategies around this depreciation recapture. So... If what you're saying is true, and this is what the person told you, I would just turn around and run the other way, okay? Um, because it it so doesn't make any sense. First of all, I really don't like uh, they say instead of they guarantee a preferred return of fifteen percent per year, including depreciation. So if somebody's saying they guarantee something, run away. Run away! You just—it's—it's it's illegal to even say you're guaranteeing something. The only thing that you can say is guaranteed—that legally say is guaranteed return—is U.S. Treasuries. So that's one thing. Now the other thing uh, is uh, year three to five, they refinance and pay off the investors their capital, and they keep their property long term. Well, a couple things there. So basically, they're just using you for debt, right? And they're going to pay you off. They pay you a little bit of return. And then uh, they're going to take all of that deal on the upside of the deal. So all you did is was stay there for the risk during the stabilization period. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Then the last thing I'll say that makes me think you got to run the other way is this idea that if you got depreciation that you would not have to pay recapture. Again, I'm no CPA, but I'm also not an idiot. And if you're you're getting paid off and you got profit and you took depreciation you absolutely need to pay recapture and that's going to be based on the new basis so if they refied the property that property has got you know new value to it well there you go that's capital gains right so it's got new basis right there and so they're resetting depreciation for themselves but the uh, reality is that you don't get to permanently keep that depreciation and not pay recapture uh, now i don't know frankly if you've got the story right here what they could be saying and i don't know if this is the case i've seen some people do this is they say well we'll you know we'll, we'll plan on you know paying you 15% per year maybe it's some kind of a pref but we're not giving you any upside maybe that's what they're saying but in that case that's just debt You wouldn't be able to take depreciation anyway. Anyway, the whole thing sounds very, very, um, (laughs) it sounds very shady and there is no shortage of shady players in this space. So uh, if it's what the way you make it sound, I would suggest turning around and running the other way. Anyway, uh, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a mouthful. Hopefully it made sense. Um, So I think that's about all that I have time for today. Uh, So let me take a break and I'll be right back in a minute. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Ask Buck. Now, one thing um, I do want to take this opportunity to remind you, if you like this stuff, if you like what we're talking about right now, uh, you should seriously consider joining Wealth Formula Network. It is a subscription based uh, community. It's online, but it comes with a course and it comes with the you know Facebook group that we're all part of, and it also is biweekly video calls with me and uh, you know all the diehard wealth formula Nation people out there. Um, so if you're really into this stuff, so who's in you know who who's this for? It's for people who really want to dive a lot deeper uh into this content um you would absolutely be amazed at the depth uh, that some of these people um you know have conversations in in this group i'm i'm always amazed at, at at you know how much people are thinking and learning um but if you know if you're the type of person who likes doing that stuff and your friends and family around you don't well this is a good place for you to join join us and geek out uh geek out in wealth formula network Check that out uh, at WealthFormulaRoadmap.com. Again, it's going to come across there on that page as a course, but the the course is fantastic. But, you know, really the the long-term benefit of this is Wealth Formula Network. I think everybody who's signed up would tell you. Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.